U.S. Arab Radio Network presents Season 3 of the Ray Hanania Radio Show, sponsored by Arab News, the leading English-language newspaper in the Middle East. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, veteran journalist Ray Hanania explores issues facing Arab Americans on WNZK AM 690 Radio in Detroit and on WDMV AM 700 Radio in Washington, D.C. And now, your host, Ray Hanania. Watch the show live on Arab News Facebook page. And welcome to the Ray Hanania Radio Show. I am Ray Hanania. It is Wednesday, August 16th, 2023. And this is Season 3, Episode 16. We're brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network. It's sponsored by Arab News, the voice of a changing region. Arab News at ArabNews.com is an award-winning newspaper covering the Middle East with bureaus in Paris, London, Islamabad, Tokyo, and with coverage in the United States where I serve as the U.S. Special Correspondent. Our radio show focuses on the Arab-American community and issues, and also on Middle East coverage from an American U.S. and American-Arab perspective. We have two guests today. In segment one, we're going to speak with Dr. Zahar Sahlul, the president and founder of MedGlobal, an international medical organization which sends teams of medical volunteers in response to refugee crises around the world, including in the Middle East. Dr. Sahlul will help us look at the situation of refugees today and the significant presence of Syrian refugees and the role that the United States is playing and that it needs to play to help these refugees. In segment two, we will speak with Jean Abinader, a political commentator for many years who's been involved with understanding and analyzing the politics and the government of Lebanon, working with leaders of several national organizations and with diplomats on the, and we're going to talk with him about the three-year anniversary of the Beirut port explosion and why nothing has been resolved in the investigation. Is it a symptom of Lebanon's continued turmoil? Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we can speak with our guests, Dr. Zahar Sahlul and expert Lebanese analyst, Jean Abinader. All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. When you're looking for the best in optical care, Dr. Imad Nakash is your doctor to see. With years of experience and thousands of successful procedures performed, you can trust your eyes to Dr. Imad Nakash. See Dr. Imad Nakash and his professional staff for your eye care needs. There's two locations to serve you. In Hazel Park, call 248-336-3937. 248-336-3937. In Rochester Hills, call 248-299-3937. That's 248 248- 
299-3937. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali Abagdadi and Fatty Bottom serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali Abagdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in our authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all CDC guidelines and is open every day, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. Yeah, you know, clap your hands. If you're happy, you know it and you really want Five-year-old Lila and her mom are on their way home from Grandma's, singing Lila's favorite song. A few blocks away, 25-year-old Dylan is visiting friends at a small party. He finishes off his last beer, Later, skater. gets in his truck, and starts for home. Mom and Lila turn onto Maple Street. So does Dylan. Every 50 minutes in the United States, someone dies in a crash involving a driver impaired by alcohol or drugs. If you're impaired and you know it, don't drive. Drive sober. A message from the Michigan Office of Highway Safety Planning. With more than 30,000 successful in vitro fertilizations, IVF Michigan is now ranked as one of America's best fertility clinics according to Newsweek magazine. IVF Michigan fertility centers are the recognized leaders in high quality fertility care. With locations in Bloomfield Hills and nine other cities in Michigan and Ohio, IVF has experts in all aspects of the field. A founding member, American Board Certified Dr. Nicholas Shama, is one of the leading reproductive endocrinologists in Michigan and Ohio. He has performed over 20,000 successful IVF cases and it's helped thousands of couples fulfill their dreams of parenthood. When it's time to get personalized care from Dr. Nicholas Shama at one of America's best fertility clinics, call IVF Michigan Fertility Centers in Michigan and Ohio toll-free at 855-952-9600. 855-952-9600. And now I'd like to welcome to the Ray Hanania Radio Show Dr. Zahar Sahlul, the president and founder of Med Global an international medical organization which sends teams of medical volunteers in response to refugee crisis around the world, including in the Middle East. Dr. Sahlul will help us look at the situation of refugees today. He was recently, by the way, a speaker at the ongoing Parliament of World Religions that is being held in Chicago, McCormick Place, this week. Welcome to the program, Dr. Sahlul. It's always a pleasure to have you on here. Thank you, Ray. Thank you for having me. Um, of course. And and I, I will say that uh, while it's a pleasure to have you on there, it's always for a very difficult topic, the situation of refugees. Tell, Give us a little overview, if you can. What is the situation of refugees? Because I've noticed that they've kind of been pushed off the front pages of the media uh, because there's been so much else going on around the world, conflict protests, uh, you know, interreligious fighting over the destruction of uh, the Koran and, you know, other things. There's so many big headlines, but that refugee crisis still is big, correct? 
it's huge. Uh, it's boiling under the surface, uh, as they say. Um, right now, we have more displaced people and refugees than ever since World War II. Um, so some of the estimates from the United Nations uh, Refugee Agency, UNSCR, is that we have about 100 million um, displaced persons in the world. And when we are talking about displaced persons, uh, we have to differentiate that from refugees. Refugees are the one are, are the persons who are displaced outside of their country, um, while displaced person could be also displaced within the country. And we can give an example, for example, in Syria, because we have uh, a civil war that started 13 years ago. Half of the population of Syria are displaced inside their country. So someone from Damascus now lives in Idlib or in Raqqa or in um, Homs because uh, their area was completely destroyed or it was unsafe. And now they are displaced within their countries. Of course, Palestinians suffer from the same thing throughout the crisis. Let's take one moment to go into the uh, uh, the adjectives, the nouns about this, because it is, I'll tell you, a lot of people hear things and they don't know the differences sometimes. And sometimes yeah. you hear one word, it's more urgent. You hear another word, it's like, oh, never mind. So refugees and displaced people, basically the same with different circumstances. Yeah. What about the a lot of our listeners hear words like migrants, immigrants, um, you know, people who are crossing the border seeking uh, asylum. Um, yeah. How can you put it all in context? These different scenarios yeah. are they refugees also in a sense? Um, in a sense, yes, but it's for different reason, and but they have a different classification by the UN and international communities. So if you're um, if you are poor, and let's say that you left Eritrea, which is one of the most countries in, in, in Africa in terms of exporting refugees to the world, and we don't think of Eritrea, for example, but half a million people are refugees from Eritrea because of uh, uh, lack of access to opportunities, basically, and economic refugees. Venezuela, uh, you have millions of Venezuelans who uh, fled their countries not necessarily because of persecution or war, just because of the hyperinflation and the fact that they don't have opportunities. So they, they are considered, quote unquote, economic migrants. And there is a new term that forcefully uh, humanitarian uh, migrants, they're calling them forcefully humanitarian or forced uh, humanitarian migrants. So they are not treated as refugees. We don't call them refugees, but um to, if you ask them, they are le leaving their country because they don't have opportunity. They may not survive the economic downturn and they're leaving to other countries for better opportunities. Um, but um, the international community, UNHCR and NGOs do not treat them as such. In my organization, for example, MedGlobal, we have clinics in um, Colombia and Ecuador that we treat exclusively Venezuelan migrants. Uh, who we consider similar refugees, but they are not labeled as such. Of course, refugee is the person who fled their country because of persecution, because of war, um, uh, for whatever reason, civil war or external war, to other countries. Uh, and there's about 30 million refugees nowadays. Most of them are from countries in the Middle East. Um, and we can talk a little bit about that, but Syria is the still first country in terms of exporting refugees. There are 6.5 million Syrian refugees. That means people who left Syria to neighboring countries and beyond neighboring countries, to, to Europe and other countries. Uh, 6.5 million in a country that has a population of 22 million. So that means 
one third of the uh, population left Syria and they are outside of Syria because of the war. Um, and there is a story that highlights what's going on. You mentioned that there is sure. it's not in the news. Um, one month ago, uh, a ship that has 700 refugees drowned in the Mediterranean near Greece, 700. The 300, uh, 340 of them were from Syria, from government-controlled areas, from Damascus, from Dara'a, from cities that are perceived, quote-unquote, safe. Uh, but they left the country because it's not safe for them. They feel the persecution. And maybe some of them are for economic reasons. One of them, for example, left the country because he was looking uh, for a bone marrow transplant for the money for bone marrow transplant for his son, who is living in a refugee camp in Jordan. So he left Jordan, who was refugees in Jordan, refugee in Jordan with his family, to Libya. And Libya, he um, was connected with a network of smugglers who, first of all, put him in a prison and then in a ship. And they sent them to Greece and he drowned with the 750 people yeah, or 700. And, and it did not make the news. There were no demonstrations in the Arab world or in Muslim countries about the 700 refugees who drowned in the Mediterranean. While we have demonstrations about things that like the the, the burning of the Quran, which I, I, I believe is contradictory. Um, the only demonstration we had was in Greece, actually, because the uh, the Greek people were... Um, very angry at the sh uh, at their government that did not um, help these refugees coming to Greece, and 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 we appreciate the welcoming, and 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 that sentiment in Greece. And at the same time, mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah. At the same time, there's a huge anti-refugee sentiment in many of the countries that host large number of refugees. Um, we're talking about Syria, so Turkey has 3.5 million Syrian refugees. And there is a huge anti-refugee sentiment before the election, recent election, and after the election. And not only Syrians are feeling it, but every Arab person who looks like Syrian is feeling the sentiment. 60% of Turks, uh, when they were surveyed, they said that they feel uncomfortable by having refugees in their neighborhood. And this is terrible. Uh, I mean, Turkey was one of the countries that opened their doors and so forth to Syrian refugees. They provided them with health care and education and opportunities. And now you have this uh, anti-refugee sentiment there. Similar, similar thing in Lebanon. Lebanon is a small country with um, very delicate demographics. There's one million Syrian refugees. Of course, there's about 600,000 Palestinian refugees. And Lebanese are turning against the refugees because of the economic downturn uh, in, in Lebanon and, and collapse. Is that let's go back to to the boat and the news aspect of this because uh, is it because I know it's such a tragedy you'd think it meets all the criteria of a news story, you know, mm -hmm. in today's journalism, um, but is it not a news story? Do you think because people um, read about it, it's been politicized, you know, the mixing of all these terms, refugees, the displaced, the migrants, the asylum seekers. Uh, immigrants, illegal immigrants, undocumented immigrants. It's been it's like a political thing. And do you think that that has uh, undermined the recognition of the importance of refugees uh, in the eyes of, you know, the public, for example? I, I think that's that's maybe it. Uh, it's normalized, uh, Ray. Um, killing a refugees or kicking a refugees out of your country forcefully or a refugee drowning in the Mediterranean 
has become normal. Uh, if you remember in 2015, when the uh, child, uh, Aylan Kurdi, uh, was found, uh, you know, dead uh, in, in Turkey because he drowned with his family in the Mediterranean, I mean, that caused uh, a global outrage, right? You know, I, I remember one of uh, my uh, congressmen here in Chicago, she called me, she said, I'm really, um, you know, my, my heart is broken because of what I've seen. I mean, the picture of Ailan. And when I, sign, I want to sign a letter to President Obama asking him to host 200,000 or resettle 200,000 Syrian refugees because of that one picture of a child. Right. Um, now you have 700 people uh, drowning in the Mediterranean. Since then, by the way, 25,000 people drowned in the Mediterranean. 25,000 people. Wow. Of, it's not in the news anymore because people normalized it. Um, yeah. Are they Syrian refugees or from any specific area that we? Um, most of them are Syrian refugees. The, the, some of the estimates about seven thousand Syrian refugees has dr uh, have drowned in the Mediterranean. But you also have uh, West African refugees. You have Eritrean refugees. You have Sudanese refugees. You have Libyan refugees. You have refugees from Lebanon now for the first time. Uh, so it's um, it's not only Syrians, but people who are from countries that are fleeing persecution, war, and economic a lack of economic opportunities. Is it fair to say that the, this public empathy for re the plight of refugees has weakened or is dissipating? And yeah. what do we do? What do we do about it? I mean, obviously, it's getting worse. And you know, you think when things get worse, the public attention gets stronger, but it seems like it's almost the opposite. Or is it just in certain instances? I mean, I, I blame, actually, uh, our faith leaders um, and, and policymakers. You know, um, maybe social media has a role also because we are bombarded by uh, many crises um, and people are fixated on certain things. Uh, and maybe we are numbed uh, as a society or global community because you have, you know, wildfire in Maui that killed 95 people. You have right. wars right. everywhere. You have Ukraine, you have climate change, you have all kinds of stuff. Uh, and then the refugees. Uh, but, you know, morally, we're, you know, Christians, Jews, Muslims, um, whatever your faith, you know, refugees have a very important status, right? I mean, in the Muslim tradition, the Prophet Muhammad was a refugee. He, he came to, to Medina and he was hosted by the host community and the refugees integration. We call it Mu'akha, um, uh, was a model that, you know, so refugee, in, in the Islamic tradition, I'm, I, I was born Muslim, I'm Muslim. You know, this is an important thing. The same thing in the Christian tradition, same thing in the Jewish tradi uh, tradition. Moses and Jesus were refugees also. But um, but I blame faith leaders because they're not making this um, as a priority to their communities. So we're not hearing that much in churches and, and, and temples and, and, and synagogues and mosques about refugees, despite of the refugee crisis. We're not paying attention. In order to sympathize with people, you have, first of all, to know that these people are suffering. Right. And then you need to pay attention, educate your community and tell them, well, this is important in our tradition. It's not happening. You're going to be you uh, this week uh, spoke at the uh, Parliament of World Religions. Was that a message that you delivered to them? Is that something you addressed? Yes. Uh, I mean, the, the first message was, you know, this is a huge problem that we're not paying attention to. The second message that some of the faith leaders are actually responsible for this refugee. You know, the first two countries, by the way, that are exporting refugees right now to the world. I mean, there's 
10 countries export 75% of the refugees, the, the 30 million people. Wow. Uh, Sudan, for example, is one of the newcomers because of the civil war in Sudan. So we have now tens of thousands of Sudanese refugees to Chad and neighboring countries and uh, Egypt, of course, um, and also uh, internally displaced people because of the civil war in Sudan that just started this year. But Ukraine is number two and Syria is number one. Uh, and if you look at the Russian Orthodox Church, um, and actually you have justification for the war in Ukraine uh, and right. for the uh, bombing civilians in Syria, and other faith communities are not telling the Russian Orthodox Church, you know, this is wrong. You know, what you're saying to justify the war and bombing civilians is is, is not right. So uh, that was my, my message. Besides the fact that we have to pay attention to refugees and talk about that in our um, uh, house of worships, and also demonstrate when refugees die in the Mediterranean, drowning in the Mediterranean, or they are killed at the border. Um, this looming refugee migrant crisis that you mentioned, uh, because we call them migrants coming right. from Haiti and Venezuela south of the border, will become a priority before the next election. I guarantee to you, it will be politicized. Um, so we have to pay attention because it's it's in our backyard. We have Venezuelan refugees or migrants in Chicago right now that are sent from Texas um, because Texas want democratic states to feel what they are feeling. Um, so it, it is important. It's reality. It's in our backyard. It will come back to haunt us if we do not pay attention to. Uh, two things uh, that I wanted to ask you. Can You had mentioned 10 countries that are the 10 biggest countries. Do, we, do you know those offhand? Or maybe you can get that to me after the show, but... Uh... Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, so some of them I mentioned already. So the first country is Syria. Uh, one out of four refugees in the world is from Syria. Wow. Um, Syria is a country in the Middle East that is a small country, as you know, Ray. Um, right. But we export more refugees than anything else. We're exporting Captagon also in Syria to the Arab countries. That's a totally different story. Um, Ukraine, of course, because of the Russian war and invasion in Ukraine. You have Sudan. You have South Sudan. You have DRC, Democratic Republic of the Congo. You have uh, Central African uh, Republic. You have Eritrea. You have Afghanistan, of course. Afghanistan is number three. Um, uh, and of course, the Rohingya refugees. Uh, one, when we founded uh, Mid Global in 2017, uh, uh, the, the Rohingya refugee crisis was at its peak. Uh, Myanmar persecuted and expelled one million. Uh, Rohingya Muslim refugees to Bangladesh, which is also a poor country that was now about 1.5 million Rohingya refugees. The largest refugee camp is in Bangladesh, uh, um, which uh, we have two clinics there that providing health care to the Rohingya and the host community. It has 750,000 Rohingya refugees, um, and no one hears about them anymore. That was a genocide, according to the UN. Um, they are actually in very close proximity to Myanmar. They can just look at the border uh, from uh, Cox's Bazar where they settled in, in Bangladesh. But because of the geopolitics, because Myanmar is supported by China and Russia, uh, and uh, Bangladesh is a poor country that doesn't have that much leverage on these countries, and because it's far from the United States and Europe, people are ignoring uh, this refugee crisis. Wow, that that's amazing. And... Uh... You would also, I wanted to go back to something else you were talking about the, uh, you know, there, there seems to be this shifting over to, you know, the politics of migrants and, you know, the 
Texas, as you said, was uh, because it's on the border. Obviously, it's getting a lot of migrants that are coming in that are uh, homeless, that have no income. Um, and just, you know, I mean, in a way, they're all refugees. I guess it's the cause of why you're a refugee that distinguishes the different groups, obviously. Um, and they've come to Chicago. New York has this huge problem with mm -hmm. homeless people and migrants that are sleeping on the streets. I mean, is do you think it's things like that? It gets overwhelming that they completely shut out these problems like for refugees. I, I, you live in New York. You look down the street. You see 50 people sleeping against a building, a multi-million or billion dollar industry building, and uh, they have nothing. Uh, why would you think of refugees at that moment? It just seems, do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like terrible. Uh, we have a homeless uh, problem that we are facing in many urban uh, centers, including Chicago. And if you go to uh, San Francisco and L.A. and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's terrible. Um, and, but it's not caused by the refugees. It's caused by uh, mental health problem because of a COVID pandemic, uh, lack of resources to fight the homeless uh, situation. We are the most resourceful and powerful country in the world. We can take care of it if we want to. But policymakers are not paying attention to it. Unfortunately, uh, Democrats and, and Republican, both of them are uh, to be blamed. And each one of them is pointing the finger to the other one. The, the migrant crisis that you've mentioned, uh, I mean, it, 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 first of all, you cannot address uh, the refugee and the migrant crisis by, um, by just uh, hosting all refugees. It's impossible because if you do that, if you open the borders to all refugees, going to have billions of people who are leaving uh, countries that are fragile, countries that have poor governance, that have lack of economic opportunity, that have wars and climate change. We didn't mention climate change is a major drive of refugees because you have shortage of water and shortage of um, um, resources in, in many countries that are driving uh, people uh, away. And this will is expected to get worse. So you have the Venezuelan crisis because of the economy. You have the Haitian crisis because of the um, the, the war in, 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 in Haiti, uh, the gangs controlling now Haiti, uh, more or less. And then you have three countries in Central America that have also huge problem with governance, uh, which is Salvador and, and Honduras and, uh, and Guatemala. Uh, most of the refugees are crossing from South America, Central America through very dangerous terrain called Darien Gap uh, to Mexico. And from Mexico, they take a uh, walk, uh, which, which is thousands of miles, uh, very dangerous. They're exploited, by the way. We, didn't, when, we did not talk about the exploitation of especially children and women in these trips, whether from the Mediterranean, um, uh, uh, Afghanistan to the Mediterranean or to Europe or Syria to Europe, or now the Central Americans to the United States. Women are exploited, especially, uh, and there's human trafficking that we didn't talk about. So there's all kinds of things that happen in the road uh, to the uh, countries of uh, milk of honey, as we call them, the United States and Europe, because they are perceived as safe areas and people are treated differently than other areas, unfortunately. Differently means better. Um, but, you know, addressing the root causes of the refugee crisis, migrant crisis, is what, what needs to be done. That means stopping selling arms to countries that are causing wars, uh, because... But, you know, when you are selling arms, United States is the probably the, ex, the best seller of arms to every country in the world. Uh, you are creating wars that is creating displacement and refugees. 
and which you which you have to take care of it. And what we're doing right now is putting band-aids by resettling in the United States 0.5% of the total refugee uh, numbers in the world. Um, the European countries also are selling arms. Russia also is, is exporting arms. These big countries that are members of the United Nations Security Council are causing the refugee crisis by selling arms to the other countries and also uh, causing this displacement uh, uh, problem and not addressing I, I, the, the the other root causes. But I wanted to ask you about the United States and uh, um, you pointed out that about 10% of all the, the refugees are coming to the U.S. I well, mean, is the point, U.S. 0.5%. Point, point 0.5%. Point yeah. Only 0.5%. And yet we're a major cause of the, not directly, but the process of becoming a refugee, the situation, the environment that gets created by things that we do. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, you know, the from the standpoint of Americans, what they should really know about what is happening in this refugee crisis, they are, whether knowingly or unknowingly, are a major factor in fueling this refugee crisis yeah, and not I mean, doing enough to help them. Yeah, I believe I believe in our country. I believe in our system. I believe that we have flawed foreign policy in many areas. And I think this is not a secret. Um, and I, when I go back and forth to, let's say, uh, to Gaza or to Lebanon or Syria or Bangladesh or Colombia, I mean, you will see the fruits of our foreign policy, whether it's good or bad. And you talk with people who will tell you, you know, look, you know, in Syria, when President Obama said, Assad lost his legitimacy. People went to the street because they felt that they have the back of the United States. Right. Um, uh, Ambassador Ford went to um, to these demonstrations. Um, Obama said there is a red line. Red line was broken. Nothing happened. You have a refugee crisis. You have ISIS, all of these things. We are responsible. We have troops in Syria. Russia has a troops in Syria. Russia is responsible for the Syrian refugee crisis much more than the United States, by the way. And of course, it's responsible for the Ukrainian refugee crisis right now. But because they are members of the United Nations Security Council, no one can do anything about that. And so this international system that was created after the World War II is flawed and needs to be changed. We are responsible morally. We broke it. We broke Iraq. We broke Syria. We broke Palestine. We own it. And we should use our diplomatic leadership and leverage and moral uh, leadership also in the world to fix this problem. But we're not doing that. We're just applying sanctions here and there. You know, we're hosting, as I mentioned, some of the refugees. President Trump, by the way, blocked all the way, uh, the, 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 the resettlement of refugees all the way for four years. We had zero Syrian refugees. Now it reopened again. Um, and we started to have refugees as in before. But that's not enough. Band-aids are not enough. You have to address the root causes. And you have to reflect on our flawed foreign policy. And no one... Uh, and, and our policymakers would admit that, you know, we broke it and we should fix it. So the U.S. really uh, ne needs to step up to the plate. They haven't done that um, in a way. They're directly or indirectly a cause of this growing problem. Um, and you pointed out we only have 0.5 percent of all the refugees in the world that we're part of causing here in the U.S. Uh, do you think they overcompensate by trying to provide money? They'll say, Look how much money we donate to help needy people. Um, but that, I mean, money is good, but that isn't enough, is it? 
Yeah, it's definitely not enough. We are the most generous country in the world, by the way. Yes. Uh, we donate to United Nations agencies, to NGOs, to refugees, more than any other country. And we're proud of that. You know, when I meet with uh, USAID and with uh, Ambassador Samantha Power, I met with her many times during the Syrian project. She cares. She really cares. People actually cried uh, because of what they've seen when they see that the, the, the pictures of the Syrian children and other children who are in the refugee camps. By the way, the average stay for a refugee person in a refugee camp nowadays is 30 years, three wow. zero years. Most of the refugees will not get, ever go back to their countries. There was a recent survey among Syrian refugees and they were asked, would you like to go to your back to your country, Syria? They said, 88% of them said yes. And they then they asked them, would you go now back to your country? Do you feel that your country is safe? Only 1% of them said uh, yes. That means 99% don't believe that Syria is, uh, is safe. And it's not safe. I mean, the same situation that created the refugee crisis still there. So most of the refugees will stay refugees. Only 1% of them will be resettled in all countries, according to the United Nations uh, Refugee Agency, UNHCR. They resettle only 1% of the 30 million uh, refugees that I've mentioned. And the United States historically takes half of those resettled. That means 0.5% of the refugees. All other refugees, 99%, will stay refugees in countries that don't have the means to uh, provide uh, health care and education and job opportunities and future for the refugees. That will create a lot of instability in the Middle East. Imagine if one million Syrian refugees will stay in Lebanon for the next 10 years or three million, uh, three and a half million Syrian refugees in Turkey. It will create a lot of instability in the Middle East. Um, and that should be addressed, uh, not not but uh, by the current system. Clearly, the United States, I think, needs to do more. And as you point out, it's very generous uh, when it comes to supplies and funding. And there are a lot of organizations that are helping them. But when you look at the numbers, 0.5% um, being settled here, temporarily even, just brought here, um, that is a terrible number. Yeah. Um, and I, if I were, you know, I mean, I think Americans, they may not know it or they may not care. So, Dr. Sahlul, any final thoughts before I let you go? I mean, I this topic is so important. It impacts our daily lives in ways that we don't even recognize sometimes. I mean, I mean this topic is too, you know, too dear to my heart. Uh, you know, when I, I went a few years ago to a refugee camp in Lebanon, a small refugee camp at the border, um, and I met this uh, Syrian family, and I asked them, why are you here? Um, it was in the Bqa Valley. They said, because we can look at the other side, and our city is there. They're from a city, historic city, in city called uh, Ma'lula. And they speak um, Assyrian, oh, um, not Assyrian, uh, Aramaic which is the language of Jesus Christ. They're a Muslim family, but they speak Aramaic. Uh, there's only a few thousand people who speak the, the language of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I, I felt terrible. You know, you know th this is, a, you know, a refugee family that speaks the language of prophet that is revered in Islam and Christianity. Um, and they are suffering. No one cares about them. No, no one knows about them. Um, and, you know, sometimes very minimal things you can do to provide dignity to the refugees and maybe settling this crisis that's been lingering for 13 days. I mean, 
United States and uh, 13 years, I'm sorry, United States, Turkey and Iran and, 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 uh, and Russia sitting on the table and the Arab League and deciding, OK, let's do this and this so people can go back. Um, so, I mean, that's that's what goes in my mind when I go, when I go to, 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 to provide some health care to the refugees, that we can do better as an international community. We can care more. In my mosque, they don't talk about refugees. In churches I go to, they don't talk about refugees. If we talk about refugees in our Friday sermon and Sunday sermons, I think people will care and uh, they will probably change the policies, the flawed policies that we have. All right, Dr. Sethel, let's hope that your message to the Parliament of World Religions, I'll be looking at the end of the week. Uh, I know they want to do good. Um, let's see if it has an impact in adjusting and getting them to do more and speak out more. Um, it's always a pleasure to have you on the radio show. Again, thank you so much. Thank you, Ray. Thank you for uh, touching on this very important topic. All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Are your hands feeling numb? Do you feel pain opening up a jar, turning a key? Are you noticing that your elbow and your shoulder are becoming stiff? Or were you recently injured in your arm? Hello, I'm Dr. Albajit Katranji, and at the Katranji Hand Center, which just recently opened down the street from the Somerset Mall, we can provide you with the latest in hand, wrist, elbow, and shoulder care. Visit us at www.katranjihandcenter.com to learn the latest techniques that we have to offer you, and I look forward to taking care of you. Visit us in Troy at 1565 West Big Beaver Road, Building F, or call Katranji Hand Center for an appointment at 248-869-4263. That's 248-869-4263. Life for Relief and Development has now been rated as one of the best charities for humanitarian aid. Life's humanitarian projects span the globe, and Life is celebrating its 30th anniversary of providing essential life-saving aid to people and communities in 36 countries, regardless of race, color, religion, or cultural background. Where there is life, there is hope. And when disaster occurs here or around the world, including being one of the first responders to the Turkey-Syria earthquake crisis, Life for Relief and Development rushes in to provide food, medical aid, and shelter to those in need. We are looking to help the earthquake victims, and we take 0% overhead on emergency donations. So please help improve these efforts. Learn more about our involvement to help the helpless and bring hope where it's needed most. And make your tax-deductible donation to Life for Relief and Development now at lifeusa.org or call 248-424-7493. That's 248-424-7493. Kashat's Mediterranean Market and Shish Kebab offers a great array of your favorite Mediterranean meals. Meals range from lamb specialties, shawarma sandwiches, seafood dinners, and they offer special big trays of your favorite food, plus much more. Kashat's Mediterranean Market and Shish Kebab address is 32839 Northwestern Highway in Farmington Hills. Their phone number is 248-538-9552. That number again is 248-538-9552. And the supermarket is open from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Kashat's Mediterranean Market and Shish Kebab will definitely leave you satisfied. And welcome back, everybody. This is Ray Hanania here at the Ray Hanania Radio Show. And I have a 
great guest on someone I've known for a long time. And I don't think anybody understands the Lebanese world better and how Lebanon has fit in the role it's played in the Middle East and the Arab world. John Abinader. John is a political commentator who has been involved with understanding and analyzing the politics and government of Lebanon for decades, working with leaders of several national organizations and diplomats. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Right. It's great to be back. And I always appreciate the discussion we have with your listeners. Absolutely. And of course, I'm bringing you back on kind of a to deal with a tragedy three years ago on August 4th, 2020, a large amount of ammonium nitrate. I'm not even sure if we know how much that was being stored at the port of Beirut in the capital city of Lebanon exploded, uh, causing at least 218 deaths, 7,000 injuries, $15 billion in property damage, as as well as leaving 300,000 people homeless. It was such a shocking you know, news story when I saw it, the people looking out of their apartments from blocks away, and all of a sudden that fireball explodes and rushes right up to their window. That had to be scary. What do you remember of that day? Well, I think the first thing was the <clears throat> typical Arab fashion Everybody starts pointing fingers at everybody else. It was the Jews. It was the Israelis. It was the Hittites. It was the Sunnis. It was, you know, anybody but taking responsibility for what happened in the country. And it's been so tough. why they haven't solved any problems, because nobody takes responsibility. Lebanon has been in a lot of turmoil. So I don't know if people, they were surprised at the intensity of the explosion, but, you know, as you know, it's a, one of the tragics, on one hand, Lebanon is such a beautiful country. Beirut is such a beautiful city. On the other end, there's this dark side of, you know, they don't like somebody, they kill them by blowing them up. You know, the Hariri assassination. I remember look, visiting and seeing that explosion, how terrible, you know, that was. This explosion kind of symbolized something even bigger or worse, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It took away the innocence, you know, because you could always fall back on your romantic images of Lebanon, say, like they came out of the Civil War, just like you come out of X, Y, and Z. And, and there's no coming out of the, the bomb blast. It's been three years. Has there been any real investigative effort to find out who was responsible for this? I mean, do we think we really know? As typical in Arab culture and Arab society, there are more motives and more culprits than there are facts. The French and the U.S. and the British analyzed the explosion site and said that, in fact, the 7,200 metric tons of ammonium oxide were not destroyed. There was less than 5,200. So then there's this whole bunch of theories about what Assad was storing his barrel bombs kits in the Lebanon, and that's where the rest of the uh, chemicals went. Then, there, wow. of course, there was these uh, pictures people were showing, <clears throat> Photoshop pictures of Israeli planes over the port. But what's never been explained is, if it's Israel, why on that day? Why not the day before, the day after, or a month before, the month after? So there's been no credibility to that theory either. So the most credible one that ties in a conspiracy to hide the facts ties the aluminum chloride to Syria. So we'll see if we ever find out that story. So it's still up in the air then? 
Oh, yeah, I think I think all the talking chair intellectuals have their beliefs. What was Kata doing at that time? What was Alan doing at that time? What were the uh, other major political parties doing at that time in anticipation of the election and the first of the appointment of a new president or whatever? None of these has played out. Uh, but and- I, I think all, to have any kind of accountability or investigation without a full deck. And right now they don't have one. A lot of people were blaming it on Hezbollah, that it was a storage place. Um, That seemed to make more sense than any of it. But because Hezbollah was such a powerful force, a military force in Lebanon, and still is, I think, none of that's ever been, you know, uh, fully investigated to a conclusion. Is that Hezbollah had a base down there. Christian militia had a base down there, and they split the proceeds from customs and other duties between them. So they both had a reason for keeping the port intact. At the same time, as you said, it doesn't make sense for any other group to do it. And I mean, Hezbollah won't be the first Arab group to shut their own foot off. Do you think any of the big events in Lebanon have ever been, you know, resolved. Like we still really, I mean, there's suspicions about the Hariri assassination. Um, There's so many assassinations and acts of violence. And I'm not sure the majority of them have ever been properly wrapped up in an investigation where someone could come to a real solid conclusion. I think a long time ago, the political and security elites realize that all you have to do is drag it on as long as you can until people throw their hands up and don't want anything to do with it. And that's how you solve the problem, you make it go away. Do you think that's what's being done with this? I mean, three years later, just dragging our feet, nobody's asking the question, who did it? Do you think that's what's happening today? I don't think there's much respect for human life in Lebanon, whether it's the first responders or security police or people who have a real stake in security for the country. There doesn't seem to be a real concerted effort to develop institutions to support that security. And institutions are the key. I know some people pointed fingers at Hezbollah, but you make a great point. Hezbollah had a center there. The Christian militia had a base there. Why would they blow up their own property? Maybe it was just an accident, you know, as opposed to an intentional explosion. Is that the general feeling that this was an accident more than intentionally done? I don't think the cards are in on that yet. You know, LAF has a base there, too. They still do. Uh, But that doesn't mean the LAF would blow themselves up just to make a point. What kind of point are they making? How important is it, though, do you think, to resolve this? Or is it just now a matter of this is just another part of a violence chronology? I mean, obviously, like I said, there's a lot of good in Lebanon. It's a beautiful place. But, you know, if you just take the violence and put it in a chronology, is this just another example of this is just the way life is here and it's not going to change? That's what I'm afraid of, Ray, that until the politics change, the security situation is not going to change. The only reason Hezbollah will back down or change their position is if Iran changes its position. Iran is not going to change its position to the United States, its position. There are no straight lines. From point A, it takes us to point B. And so maybe what we should do is work on amplifying the number of happy endings there are. There you know? can't be that many, are there? Well, you look on the individual level, or whether it's uh, people going through school on scholarship or young people getting married or miracles being done by the hospitals. But then you have all the opposite going on as well. You have 
so much degradation, so much disrespect for human life, that it's hard to feel that the Lebanese are working hard enough for themselves to work for me at my house, of course, and they're from Nicaragua. And they know that my cousin is the president of the Dominican Republic, Luis Sabinato. And they say, well, thank you very much. But they can't understand how a country that's so beautiful can destroy itself. Lebanon's doing it. Nicaragua's doing it. Eastern Horn of Africa's doing it. The amount of abuse humanity can, can tolerate is just extraordinary. It's like, hey, why don't you come down and start all over again? It's really sad. I mean, I, I have a, a granddaughter now. Ella, and I have my son, Ferris, and my daughter, Millen. And you always wonder what's the future going to be like for them. And it's depressing. And it was bad enough when we were young and we worried about Vietnam, we worried about voting rights and worried about all these human issues. Now the climate issues are on top of those and environmental issues. It's mind-numbing just to think about all the challenges we have to bring this next generation through to their fulfillment. Jean, do you believe that uh, the Biden administration and the or the just the United States in general, because um, this happened under when Trump was president, and now of course Biden's been in for a little over two years. Um, do you believe that uh, the U.S. has done enough to help Lebanon? The question I always have is one most. We hear from our friends in Lebanon, have the Lebanese done enough to help themselves? If they don't show people that they're worthy of investment, then why would the world do it? It's been, we've been floating Lebanon since 1990s, since the end of the Civil War, and nothing's changed. There have been five major donors' conferences. Nothing's changed. Now, the thing is, you know, as I mentioned other countries because I strongly believe that why do we think we have some priority over Iraq? or Syria, or Tunisia, let alone the Africa and Latin ones. I mean, it's, it's a lot of what's for us to think about, well, we deserve to have better treatment than other people. We don't deserve anything more than we work for. Our funny part was our parents taught us that by coming here to the U.S., laying down roots, starting businesses, working really hard, putting us to school. So they lived out what Lebanon needs to do for itself. And I've always said that, not always, but I like to think I've always said it. One of the things that's really critical for the expatriates community is to, is to repopulate Lebanon. If we were in charge of Lebanon, what would we do? That's really what the question is. Would we be any better than Sami Jamal or Benjia or Wali Jamblat or Makati or any of these other guys? I'm not sure. Once power gets in you and once that money starts to flow, I'm not sure how strong the human fiber is to resist corruption, to call for accountability the way we are with the port blast. I mean, we don't even like to pay tickets. I think you're making a good point that Lebanon can't blame anyone else for their own continued problems other than themselves, it sounds like. At least first and foremost, they have to start with themselves. Yeah. before they so, turn to other people. So if they if they could mobilize 10% of the population in supporting human development, climate change, environmental policies in Lebanon, the world would support them. They jump on board so fast. Do you think it's a, uh, a rival competition that there's so many different rival factions that nobody seems to be able to get control to direct the country? That's an easy way to put it off, but 
then you would think it might change generation to generation, and it hasn't. There's a lot more the Lebanese can do. I mean, it's not, these aren't generational changes. Everybody says there was going to be a big change because of the parliamentary elections. And the kids, the younger people, they didn't vote for change. Very limited, yeah, but the old guys came back. And you, a new country with new challenges on old ideas. All right. John, I, I'll tell you what, I remember going there in 2004, probably was the end of an era because it just was so phenomenal. But I'm so saddened by the nearly two decades since. Beirut used to be the main light in the Middle East, and now that shifted away. And uh, I just, uh, do you think in our generation, will Beirut ever reclaim their glory that they, they had? It'll be a different glory. It'll be one that... Uh will meld the new technology to a new business, to young people who are educated in new ways. I think it's possible to have a renaissance, but it's got to be more inclusive than it was in the past. And it's got to take full advantage of technology and the life skills that kids are acquiring. There's nothing that Lebanon can't do and the Lebanese can't do. Look at their neighbors in the South. Look at their neighbors in the South. And you can see how... There's so many options. John Abinader, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I so appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about this tragedy from three years ago. And it, it still seems like it is a tragedy, like nothing's been resolved. Um, and I'm, I'm still worried about the future. John, thank you so much for joining us. All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Are you going to start a restaurant or a grocery store soon? Do you need floor plans and designs? Call Naji Aboud at 734-744-9796. Do you want to buy kitchen and restaurant equipment at discount prices? Call Naji Aboud now, 734-744-9796. New concept products and design, the trademark of kitchen equipment. 5% discount on all purchases of $75,000 or more. New concept products and design, new location, 31185 Schoolcraft in Livonia. Learn more at www.newconceptproducts.com. Call Naji Aboud, 734-744-9796. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical 
physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. Ziad Brand. Quality products from our family to yours. Ziad Brothers Importing offers the finest quality products, including brands like Sultan, Kraft, Nestle, Hook, Rico Picon, Donna, and many more. Ask your retailer to carry these fine products because you deserve the very best. For more information, visit our website at www.ziad.com. That's www.ziad.com. Ziad, quality products from our family to yours. You've been listening to the Ray Hanania Radio Show brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News, Season 3, Episode 16, August 16, 2023. You can listen to this podcast and all of our past radio shows on podcast by visiting Arab News Newspaper, the voice of a changing region at ArabNews.com. There are so many great podcasts you should check out, including the Maimon Show podcast with host Hussein El Maimon and the Frankly Speaking podcast with host Katie Jensen. Please check them all out. You will enjoy them. And you can get more information on Arab American journalism by visiting naja-us.com online. That's N-A-A-J-A-U-S.com. And you can get information on me by visiting my personal website hub at www.hanania.com. I look forward to joining you next week when we have more interviews and great guests here at the Ray Hanania Radio Show on the U.S. Arab Radio Network at arabradio.us and sponsored by a great newspaper, Arab News, the voice of a changing region at arabnews.com. Have a great week, everybody. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. U.S. Arab Radio Network presents Season 3 of the Ray Hanania Radio Show, sponsored by Arab News, the leading English-language newspaper in the Middle East. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, veteran journalist Ray Hanania explores issues facing Arab Americans on WNZK AM 690 Radio in Detroit and on WDMV AM 700 Radio in Washington, D.C. And now, your host, Ray Hanania. Watch the show live on Arab News Facebook page.